Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. See, the verses we just read, they're the concluding thought that the early Christian leader Paul is writing to this first church in Ephesus. But he actually starts his thought in chapter 2, verse 1. So let's jump back and see what he says. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also." It's like, what the heck is Paul talking about here? He's saying, listen, all of us were dead in our trespasses. All of us were dead in our sins. See, at some point, we've all rejected God. We've all said, God, I don't want to do things your way. I don't know how you are, but there's a little bit of a rebellious spirit in me. Like, if my wife asked me to do something, my first thought's going to be no, right? I might want to do the thing that she's asking me to do, but I'm just going to say no because I'm rebellious. I think all of us have had those rebellious moments with God. Like, like God, I know what you want, but, but I want to move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend. God, I know what you want, but, but I'd rather decide what I search for on the internet. I, I know what you want me to do with my finances, but I want to handle them according to my own desires. We have all rejected God. And see, here's the thing we miss sometimes. Jesus didn't come because we're, we're, we're good people and, and we just have a few things wrong with us. He came because we're spiritually dead. We don't move towards God. We, we, we're not able to make those steps towards God. And, and you think, man, that sounds like bad news. Okay, that is bad news. But there's good news. Look at verse 4. It says, but God. Now, that is a big but. I'd love to do a series one time called Big Butts of the Bible, right? That is a big but. Because we were dead in our trespasses, but God who is rich in mercy because of his love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Listen, we were dead, but Jesus came to make us alive. That's the good news. I performed a wedding yesterday, and, and, and whenever I do a wedding, I always point out that marriage is supposed to be a picture to the world of what God's love looks like for us. Because listen, we've rejected God. We've run away from him. And he could have had every right just to wash his hands and say, you know what? I'm done. You reject me. I'm out of here. Listen, we probably experienced some of those moments in our marriage, right? There's some moments where marriage is wonderful and maybe some moments where it's not so much. We've had those days where you wake up and you say, I can't believe I'm waking up next to you. And then there's days where you wake up and say, I can't believe I'm waking up next to you. But see, the the temptation from the world is that when somebody lets us down, when somebody hurts us, when somebody has done something to us, we leave them to their own devices. We cut them out of our lives. God could have done that, but that's not what he did. He was so committed to us that when we ran from him, he ran to us. When we rejected him, he made a way to accept us. When we wanted to live without him, he came and died for us. He came to set us free and to make us alive again. And when we're faced with the reality of what Jesus has done for us, that he died not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive, we have to do something with that. Like if we believe that Jesus is a good teacher, he teaches, he called a shot. He said, I'm going to die and raise again. And then he did it. We have to do something with that. In fact, what most Christians don't realize is, is the scripture talks about judgment when Jesus comes back. But there's not just one judgment. There's two judgments. 
that are going to be faced. And each of those judgments starts with a question. So, so listen, anybody here ever taken a test before? Anybody here ever walked into a test unprepared before? All right, good. There more hands for that one. I have a feeling I'm in good company here. Now listen, we're all going to face a test at the end of time. It's going to be a two-question test. And this morning, I'm going to tell you not only what the questions are, but I'm going to give you the answers too. All right, how many of us think we can pass a test when we know the questions and the answers? Okay, we're going to face this two-question test And the first question, when Jesus comes back, every person who ever lived will be resurrected from the dead, and they'll be asked this simple question. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Because the reality is, Jesus died for us. And if we're going to experience what God has for us, we have to be able to answer what we did with him. Every one of us is going to have to wrestle with that question. And in fact, Jesus talks to his disciples about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? And do many miracles in your name? Didn't we serve on the dream team in your name? Didn't we give in your name? Didn't we lead a life group in your name? But then I will announce to them, I never knew you. So by the way, this verse is where we get our mission. We want to help people know God. Because when you're asked the question, what did you do with Jesus? I want everyone here to be able to say, I knew him personally. I knew him. I didn't just know about him. I actually knew him. I can tell you a lot about some of my favorite football players. I can tell you where they're from, what high school they went to, what their star ranking was. I can tell you about all that, but that doesn't mean I actually know them. So you can know a lot about Jesus and not actually know him personally. You can come to church for years and not actually know Jesus personally. You can give and serve and not actually know him personally. And here's the thing. We can't be good enough to make up for our trespasses. We can't be good enough to to bring life back into our spiritually dead souls. We can't do that. But the reality is Jesus has already paid our sins for us. Some people say, well, I don't understand a God who would send people to hell. I don't understand why God would punish people for that. And the reality is, I don't think that God sends people to hell. See, at the end of the day, we've all sinned against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a price to be paid for sin and it's death. And what Jesus did is he came and died on the cross for you and me. He paid for us. And all we have to do is is have that relationship with him to accept that payment. But some of us, are going to say no to Jesus, and we'll have to pay that price ourselves. See, God's not sending anybody anywhere. The reality is some of us are just choosing to pay that debt ourselves. And isn't that heartbreaking that it's already been paid, and all we have to do is know Jesus personally to have a relationship with him. Listen, you cannot have the above and beyond life that God wants for you until you know him personally. That's just the first question, because there's going to be a second question on this test, And that second question is going to be for those who said, yes, I did know him personally. And Jesus is going to say, well, then what did you do with what you had? Okay, what did you do with Jesus? I knew him personally, but but what did you do with what you had? Because Jesus didn't save us just to sit in a holy huddle and then wait until he came back one day. He didn't save us so we could live inside a little Christian bubble and just protect ourselves until one day we get to go be with him. No, why did he save us? Go back to Ephesians. Right after he talks about the gospel, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, 
which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. If you've been coming to Bridgepoint for some time, you've heard me preach on this verse over and over and over again because I think that when we understand what Paul is saying here, it's a complete paradigm shift for us. See, Jesus saved us, why? Because he had good works prepared for us beforehand. He has a mission and a purpose for your life. And I love the fact that Paul says that these good works were prepared beforehand. See, God didn't create you and then come up with a purpose for you. God had certain things in this world that he wanted to accomplish, and he specifically created you to fulfill that purpose. He gave you gifts and talents and abilities that other people don't have because you have a purpose. And if that is true, then just like for that one housekeeper, customer service wasn't a department, it was her identity. If that's true, then for us, then serving God and living for him isn't something we do. Missions isn't a department. Outreach isn't a group. It is who we are. There's no wasted moments. There's no wasted days. And when Jesus asks, what did you do with what you had? I hope every person here can say, I lived intentionally. I lived with purpose. I knew every moment of every day that I was living for something greater than myself. And the question is, okay, but what does it look like to live intentionally? Because we can throw that word around, I want to be intentional. Sometimes people say, I want to be intentional in the relationship. I don't know what that means. You got to break it down for me a little bit. Give me some specifics. So what I want to do in the time we have left is let me just break down what it looks like to live intentionally. Does that sound good? All right, the first thing, if we're going to live intentionally, we need to be able to say, I will intentionally give what I have. I'll intentionally give what I have. There's two things that I want to point out here. Because the first one is, is that God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have. Right? Some people say, well, I don't give because I don't have a lot. Listen, God isn't asking you to give somebody else's his offering. He's not asking you to serve with somebody else's gift. He's just asking you to be faithful with what you have. He's not asking you to do something beyond what you have. Now, the second thing is giving. I think this is where people say, oh, here, here pastor goes talking about money. But the reality is God wants us to give so much more than our finances. He, he wants you to give him your heart. He wants you to give him your time. Listen, I can tell what's a priority in your life by looking at your calendar. What are you spending your time on? If you looked at my bank account, you would know that Mexican food is a priority in my life. But we have to be intentional about giving what we have. Paul writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's telling him to, to make sure he's encouraging and challenging people in this. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Okay, so he says, listen, talk to the rich people in your church and tell them not to put their hope in money, not to put their hope in the stock market, not to put their hope in their bank account. Okay, by the way, all of us who are here today, we're the rich people he's talking about. You think, no, you need to see my bank account. No, if you make $20,000 a year or more, you're in like the top few percentile of the richest people in the world. Not only that, but I happen to believe that we live in the greatest nation in the world. We're rich just because of where we live. I think that we live in the greatest state in our nation. We're rich because of where we live. If you're here at Bridgepoint today, you're rich because of the church family you belong to. Amen? See, I think that we, we are rich in so many different ways. It's okay, what do we do with all of that? He says, listen, instruct them, instruct us to do what is good. To be rich in what? Good works. To be generous and willing to share. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly 
life. I love that phrase. Take hold of what is true life. You know what true life is? It's not having all the things of the world. See, the world tells us you're going to be satisfied when you finally have that house, when the Mercedes is finally parked in your driveway, when you finally get to retire, that that's true life. That's what it's like to truly live. But no, no, no. True living is when we give to something beyond ourselves. So you see, the goal is not that we would live forever, but that we would leave behind something that does. It's the difference between an inheritance and a legacy. An inheritance is something that you leave for somebody, but a legacy is something that you leave in somebody. And as followers of Jesus, we want to leave a legacy behind. That means we got to be storing up treasure. we got to be investing in eternal things. And I know investing is hard. I think the latest numbers I saw is like less than 50% of all Americans invest. And most of the ones who do, it's through some kind of company 401k. And that's not a judgment. That's just saying we're not accustomed to investing for the future, right? Like, why would I invest a dollar now when I can spend it now? That's kind of the, the, the mentality, but we have to be very careful that we want to invest in something that's going to be around forever. That's how we leave a legacy. So, so what does that look like? I'm going to give you a few things. First, I want to challenge you with percentage giving. And this is where I will say, you know, we don't want to shy away from the fact that Scripture does talk about being generous with our finances. Now, when it comes to percentage, people always ask me, well, well Pastor, what about the tithe? Like in the Old Testament, they talk about the tithe, which is 10% of your income. You would give it back to the temple. I'm going to be honest with you, in the New Testament, doesn't talk about the tithe. Uh, I'll say there's no tithe requirement in the New Testament, but what we see in the New Testament is people who are giving 100%. Okay, that's not what I'm asking you to do, but if you feel led to, you know, we'll, we'll bless it. But it's this idea that you care so much for other people because of the transformation you've experienced through Jesus that nothing's off limits to God. That it's not just, I'm going to give you 10% and keep 90. God, you can have all of it. Whatever you want to do, this is yours. But at the same time, I think we need to be careful not to get legalistic because I know for some people, you just give 10% without thinking about it and, and you just move on to the next thing. But I'll be honest, this is something that my wife and I committed at the very beginning of our marriage, that we were going to be percentage givers. And every year we pray, God, what does that percentage look like? And there were years, especially when we were early on, that percentage might have been 2 or 3%. Because if you're here today and you went to college, chances are you're still paying off your college debt. Maybe you drove a car here that you still owe you three years left of payments on. Like a lot of us are, are strapped with debt. This is why I'm so passionate about getting people debt-free because I actually think everybody wants to be generous. I just think for some of us, we have so many chains of debt that we can't be generous. That's why as a church, we operate debt-free because we want to make sure that we can be generous. So, so listen, sometimes it might be 2 or 3%. Uh, sometimes it might be 10 Sometimes it might be beyond. But I do know that every time we get paid... My wife and I talk. Somebody's just on the phone, and it's nothing super spiritual because we're just clicking a button to give online. We say, hey, I'm, I'm giving. All right. And we pray, click the button. We want to make sure that we're always giving back to God. The, the second way that we can be intentional with giving what we have is through our above and beyond offering. Now, this is the one time of year where we actually, you know, kind of tell you we're going to ask for an offering. I don't... I don't do love offerings. You don't do stuff like that. And I'm not saying they're bad, but I just know scripture says that we should give what we have decided in our heart beforehand to give. We never want to manipulate people. We don't want to, you know, kind of force you into doing something that you're going to regret later. But every year we say, you know what? We're going to give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings for whatever God wants to do in his house. Because listen, we have great vision for the church. 
but the vision only goes at the pace of our generosity. And last year, your generosity just blew us away. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about before, you guys bought a truck for our missionaries who are in Southeast Asia so they can get to these remote villages and, and work with them. We were able to, to bless the, the ministries we partner with, like ARC, the Association of Related Churches. We were able to give so much to them. Like, you guys are responsible for helping new churches pop up all over the United States, even in the midst of a pandemic. You guys did that. And even this building that we're in now, we came in, completely renovated this building at the end of last year. We built out an entire kids' area. We, re we revamped the whole thing. And all of it was done debt-free because of your generosity. Now, listen... I don't know what that's going to look like this year, and I'm not even asking you to give. I'm just going to ask that you would pray, God, do you want me to give, and what would you want me to give? And you're going to hear more about that. This, this offering is in seven weeks, giving you plenty of time. All I want to do is just put that little, little, little bug in your ear so that you can begin praying, God, what does that look like for me this year? And the third way that we can intentionally give is through acts of kindness. See, it's not about money. There's ways that we can serve the people around us. In fact, as you leave today, if you're here in the auditorium, we have some cards on the table. They say, see you Sunday. And this is just something that I keep with me so that, you know, if I'm going through the drive-thru, I can pay for the person behind me and just give them that little card just so that they know, hey, God loves them. Have you ever been in a drive-thru before and somebody paid for your, your, your coffee or your food and you're like, man, that's awesome. God must really love me. And we want to be able to pass that on. Now, listen, I give you permission. If it's a 15-passenger van behind you, I wouldn't do that, okay? I mean, you don't know. You might end up paying for 28 people's lunch. I don't know. One time I was in the drive-thru at Starbucks, said, I really want to pay for the person behind me. And they said, they have eight coffees from Starbucks, okay? That's like a second mortgage payment. Are you sure you want to do this? And then at that point, you can't say no. It's like, yeah, I'll do that. And but you know, there's ways we can show people we care. It doesn't even have to be something like that. It could be bringing the trash can in from the street. I know my neighbors probably hate me because I'm the guy that two days after the trash came, my trash can's still at the road. And I know some of you are judging me right now. I don't care, all right? You, can pull out, you might be able to mow your neighbor's grass. Just take some food over. If you know somebody's sick, order Domino's to their house. There's so many ways that we can show the people around us that we care. That's a way that we can give intentionally what we have. Now, not only do we want to give intentionally, I want us to be able to say, I will intentionally serve others. We can be intentional in how we serve other people because that's what Jesus came to do, right? In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, he's talking to his disciples and he says, on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, if there was ever somebody who walked this earth that deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But that's not what he demanded. Instead, he served other people. And in the same way, if he deserved to be served, but chose to serve instead, we ought to choose to serve the people around us. How can we do that? I think a really simple way is just through the dream team here at Bridgepoint. I think that the dream team is such a great way for you to get, use your gifts, passions, talents, abilities. That's why we have our growth track. It's because I want you to discover your purpose and we can unleash you. I think sometimes when you serve on the dream team, you don't even realize the difference that you're making. You might think you're just out in the parking lot or you're greeting somebody in the lobby or you're checking in somebody's kids. But I was telling our dream teamers this morning before our first service, 
they got an email from somebody who had invited their friends to church back in August because their church hadn't opened yet. And they kind of visited, and it was the Sunday we talked about the harvest. I'm sure you all remember that sermon. Powerful sermon, change your life, I know. But kind of the big point there was that the harvest is hard. And we love the harvest. We love when God does new things in our life, but it's hard, and we got to be faithful. And they said they kind of came in that morning, and they were discouraged because they had been going through the adoption process. And they had kind of got to the end a couple different times, and it fell through. They had even flown somewhere to, to adopt this baby, and at the very last second, the mom decided to keep the baby, which we want to celebrate any mom who wants to, to raise her, her children, but it's also heartbreaking for them. And so they came in thinking, you know what? Maybe this isn't what God has for us. He, he doesn't want us to adopt. We're, we're just going to put that dream behind us. And they came in, they heard that the harvest is hard and to keep being faithful. And after the service, they said, you know what? Let's just pray and let's ask God to move. The very next day, they get a phone call that says, you have an hour to make a decision. There's a baby in another state. You have to fly out there right now if you want to adopt this baby. And that's exactly what they did. And so their family grew because of their faithfulness. Now, I tell you that not to say, man, what a powerful servant changed their life. That's not what happened. See, what happened is as soon as they got out of their car, they saw somebody in the parking lot who was greeting them. When they walked in and they were able to, to come through the lobby and see a host team member, when people come in and they experience check-in, what you're doing, you're creating an atmosphere where people open up to what God has for them. You're making an impact. You think I'm just waving to somebody, but you never know the walls that come down when you start to serve other people. You never know the difference that you're going to make. Listen, you may never realize the impact that you make until you get to see Jesus one day, but I promise you when we serve, we make a bigger impact than we will ever realize. Another way that we can serve others is through our serve day. Uh, just coming up in a couple weeks, October 24th, it's Saturday at 9 a.m. All of our life groups come together once a year on serve day to make a difference in our community. And so I know some of the groups are coming together and they're actually babysitting some foster kids so that the foster parents can get a much needed break. I'm not a foster parent, but think about dropping my kids off as well. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. There's going to be people who serve in, in all different places. And even if you're not in a life group, you can come here on serve day and there's going to be opportunities for you to make a difference. It's not just serve day. We actually have an outreach group that's been serving right here in our community with turnaround kids. And they've been going, they go once a month and anybody's invited to join them. They've been going out, they installed a zip line, they, they've rebuilt walls, they've, they've mowed grass. They are making a difference right here in our community. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a service project before, but you come back and you say, man, that meant more to me than I think it meant to them. It's because I actually think there, there's different kinds of poverty, right? There's material poverty when you don't have material possessions. There's spiritual poverty when you don't have Jesus in your life. But there's also relational poverty. And listen, I think a lot of us here today, we're not living in material poverty. And maybe you know Jesus and you're not living in spiritual poverty. But I think there's a part of us that longs to be with other people, that longs to serve other people. And when we serve and fulfill our purpose, that's why we feel so fulfilled. And so you have Serve Day coming up on October 24th. The last way that you can serve coming up is my favorite thing we do at Bridgepoint. Like, absolutely. It's an event we call Giving Hope. Giving Hope happens once a year, and it's where starting in November, you'll have an opportunity to pick up packets in the lobby. And these packets will say, like, you're shopping for a boy age zero to three or a girl age seven to nine. And, and the whole goal is that you go buy gifts. In fact, don't buy clothes. Don't buy books. Nobody wants to open up underwear on Christmas morning, Right. So, so you go and you go buy toys, and, and then over the course of that month, you guys are going to start bringing those in. It's going to look like Santa's workshop in the lobby. And then we take all those gifts, and, and on the first Saturday in December, we transform this place into a shopping mall for families who otherwise could not afford Christmas. 
And so that morning, the, the families are going to come in, and, and the kids are going to go to the kids' area, and they do cookies and crafts and all sorts of fun stuff. The parents get a home-cooked meal, and then they get to come in here, and they get to buy the gifts for their kids. And that's right, I did say buy. You know, it's not free. We charge $1 per gift, and here's why. Because on Christmas morning, I don't want those families waking up and those parents to say, man, I'm so glad Bridgepoint provided Christmas. No, 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 no. I want them to know I handed my money over. I provided Christmas for my family. We're not providing Christmas. We're providing the opportunity for them to provide Christmas. And if you've never been a part of that event, it is amazing. There's tears of joy. There's laughter. It is by far my favorite thing that we do here at Bridgepoint. We're going to have an opportunity to serve on that day. You'll have an opportunity to shop, and, and you'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. But, but I want to go ahead and put that on your radar. Now, the last thing we can intentionally give we can intentionally serve, but we also need to intentionally share Christ. If we want to be intentional, we have to intentionally share Christ. And can I just be 100% honest? As your pastor this morning, this one is the one I struggle with the most. I, I struggle with it because I don't want to be that weird guy. You know, you're at the grocery store, you look at the person next to you, yep, that chicken's dead, just like you're dead in your trespasses, right? <laughs> You, you, you don't want to be that guy. And so I'm like, how can I do this? And then even like inviting people to church, like, hey, would you like to come hear me teach for 30 minutes? You know, it's an awkward thing. And I know maybe, may, hopefully I'm not the only one, you know, maybe some other people here know what this is like. Sometimes we can struggle to share Christ, but we want to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. And so in November, we're doing this sermon series. We've done it before. We called it At the Movies in the Past, but this year we're calling it Blockbuster Weekends. And so we're going to have characters dressed up in the lobby. There's popcorn and Coke. We, we use this series to find biblical truths in movies and how that applies to our life. Because Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's true, then wherever we find truth, we can find Jesus. And this is a great way to invite people. Listen, if nothing else, if, if the sermon's awful, if, if you don't like the music, guess what? You got popcorn, Coke, movies, movie characters. The movie theaters aren't even open, right? We got the corner market on it this time. Just such an easy way for you to invite friends and family members that you've been praying for. Listen, you guys know kind of how we do things. At the end of the message, I always have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And in that series, we're gonna ask people who made a decision to raise their hand. And if you invite somebody, here's what I give you full permission to do. When everybody bows their head and close their eyes, you keep one eye open. You look over, you say, is my friend making that decision? Is God moving in their life? Because if you've never experienced what it's like to have a family member or a friend give their life to Jesus, it will rock your world. A couple of months ago, I was talking to a friend who said that he was in the grocery store and a family member that he'd been praying for for years called him and said, I just gave my life to Jesus. He said, he started bawling like a baby in the grocery store. And I know he's not the only one who has family members he's been praying for. I know we all have people who don't know Jesus personally. And if we want to be intentional, we have to be intentional to share Jesus. Listen, the reason we do all this, if, if you don't get anything else from today, is the reason for all of this is because I believe there is more to this life than this life. There's more to this life than just amassing a bunch of material possessions and going through our life as comfortable as possible. See, I'm trying to prepare you for an eternal life. And what we do now makes a difference. What we do now leaves a legacy behind. 
And so will we be a church? Will we be people who say, I will live intentionally? I think maybe for some of us, we gotta answer that first question. Do you know Jesus personally? I believe today is the day for some of you, you're not gonna wait till Blockbuster Weekends. We don't need to wait another week for another series for another day. Today is the day you begin your relationship with him. You don't have to pay the price for your sins. Jesus did that for you on the cross. And the good news is you don't have to do anything except receive it. So what I'd like to do right now, all across this room, if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're watching online, maybe today's the day you're ready to know Jesus personally. If that's you, wherever you're at, right in your own heart and your own mind, you can say this simple prayer. God, I admit that I'm broken, that I've sinned against you, and that I'm dead in my trespasses. But today I believe that your death and resurrection was enough to pay the price for me. And so today I commit my life to know you personally. God, I thank you for every person who just made that decision. I thank you for people who are taking their first steps in a relationship with you. And I pray that you would help us as a church to come alongside them, help them to become the, the people that you want them to be. And I pray for every person here who already knows you personally, that you would help us to live intentionally, that you would help us to, to give what we have, to serve others and to share you with those around us. I pray that this week, you give us opportunities, eyes to see how you're at work. And I pray that you would use us to leave a legacy and to live a life that's above and beyond. It's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.